Van Helsing. Now that you have learned what you have learned, it would be well for you to return to your own country. I prefer to remain and protect those whom you would destroy. You are too late. My blood now flows through her veins. She will live through the centuries to come, as I have lived. Should you escape us, Dracula, we know how to save Miss Mina's soul, if not her life. If she dies by day, but I shall see that she dies by night. And I will have Carfax Abbey torn down stone by stone, excavated a mile around. I will find your earth box and drive that stake through your heart. Hi everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. The welcome to this special Halloween episode of 50 Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. Today, in honor of the day, we're going to be doing the original Dracula from 1931, directed by Todd Browning, um, you know, based on a, a stage play that was on Broadway in 1927, in which Bela Lugosi famously played the Count. And let's go, Mike. Part one, we always talk about our overall impressions from watching a movie again. What do you got? This is our third one, and I think what struck me was you could almost do a history of film and film technique only in vampire movies because they they reoccur. I would say they reoccur once every generation, but they reoccur like five every generation, and so you get a real sense for how far things have come. So to pr- put it in perspective, we did the original Nosferatu by Murnau, and this is about ten years later mm-hmm. that you get uh, the version of Dracula that we both just watched which is essentially a contemporary film there's a couple of bad effects or forgive me there's a couple of stage effects that they obviously filmed without figuring out ways to do film effects for them but in all essences in in the editing in the camera placement uh in in its structure it's just a movie like you'd go watch a movie today and so to go from the era of silent film to essentially contemporary film within 10 years i think shows you the the way in which just the soundscape transformed film in general and i and i actually noticed that this that this film has a wonderful soundscape i found an interesting youtube video that uh, you can go watch which is scenes from dracula with and without the soundscape i watched the criterion version which i think we both watched yeah which had it uh which was wonderful and the use of film sound uh, in order to heighten emotion is it essentially creates this this beautiful rich emotional backdrop that I think takes some of the corniness out of out of some of the effects. I will say one thing though, which is that you get true stage performances. Um, you know, no offense to movie actors. Of course, this is a film podcast. We love movie actors, but the people in this movie are not movie actors. No. Uh, the the performance of Renfield in particular. Uh, it it's it's actually chilling. Bigger, and it's much, make it bigger. And it's and it's, <laughs> and it's give them and some it's, more. <laughs> and it's much better um, than than you would expect. It's it's almost too big for the screen, as you said. It's it's the it's yeah. the kind of thing where he's playing for the back of the house, but he's playing for the back of the house twenty feet in front in of your the house. Movie camera. In your house, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, 
Uh, is it dramatic? Yes, but it's I, I would say it's dramatic in a way that that appeals to me. And actually, I, I think that the people who wrote the play upon which this was based really understood their source material in a way that perhaps the, the um, you know, obviously it's different than the Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski. But but that that team had something else totally up their sleeve. Renau had something up their sleeve when Francis Ford Coppola did his version. Ugh. Uh, he had something else up his sleeve. The the team that worked on this version of Dracula from 1931, like the famous Dracula, the one like where you get your Muppet count from, mm -hmm. uh, they really understood what they were about. And we'll, I get, I, I'll get more into that in part two. What do you think? One wonderful podcast. 15 uh, uh, minutes uh. film. <laughs> um, I, it's funny what you said about being stagey because it's also stagey in terms of like, there's so many scenes where it's like a filmed play. Like we're now going to sit in this room and give you information about how to kill a vampire. Now we'll go into this room out or we'll go outside on the, on the uh, patio and then we'll talk some more about the vampire. Oh, look, there he is. So you could see it's stagey in that way. You mentioned the soundscape. One thing I loved about watching it again, and I watched it last night is the lack of music makes all of the scenes creepier. Like when the three brides come out and they're in like the basement of the castle or whatever you call it, the, the subterranean part, and they're all walking towards him. You know, it's so much better without, without quote unquote horror movie music. And, and the whole film is sustained that way. I thought that was really, really terrific. Um, I love all those weird silences. Like when, um, when Renfield gets to the crossroads and he has to get into the carriage at Dracula's driving and there's just like no music, no conversation. He's like, um, uh, okay, here's, here's my bags. And there's almost all these, you know, we talked about in Nosferatu's in Herzog's, he's the king of um like stilted time. And we talked about the clock. It's like uh, here, like the emotions are all kind of stilted and strange. Like it's strange the way Renfield acts when he goes to Transylvania, but it all really works because it's, it's very, very much stripped down. Um, you know, I also think what you said about the stage version is interesting because we've both read the novel and I think that these movies are, are definitely, and I know this is heresy, whatever, but it's Halloween. They're such improvements on the source material. Like it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing what the novel gets right. But I think Dracula as a novel is the kind of thing you read. And then you kind of romanticize the experience of reading it when it's over, because a lot of times going through it, it's like. Yeah, this is like it, it's it's got a, it's got a, a an impact on you that's felt after you're done turning those pages. The the best parts of it are the first two chapters, yes, which are Jonathan Harker. Harker's diary, where he's where he's narrating how like how tired he is of garlic sausages, and w w the reason it's so good is because it's building upon this sense of dread. He says, "I I go to in, from in to in to in, and the closer into the country I get, the more superstitious these peasants get." You know, and they're all crying and praying over me and I don't understand what's happening. So in, in that way, it's very much like, you know, if, if you enjoy Lovecraft or you enjoy Cthulhu or so, where something is happening behind what's happening and you have to pick up on it. I think that when you lose the sense of dread, the, the, the novel itself dies once Van Helsing tells everybody what the creature is yeah. and explains and the, the rules. <laughs> and because because essentially all the all the tension is released, but you have another 200 pages. I think what the folks who do movies like this get correct is that th that tension is released much closer to the final scene. Right. And then the, the final scene uh, it, is much more of a showdown than it ends up being in the novel, which is, again, it's just lacking tension and lacking structure. But that, right, that Dracula has an emotional structure because it's not about fear of the thing itself. 
it's about the dread of the fear of the thing itself uh, or or the emotion of feeling like it's creeping up on you. And let's talk also about how great Bela Lugosi is. In the, in the, I mean, he's he's. I mean, again, often parodied because he he laid all the groundwork. But but his his terrific talk about the thousand yard stare and and just all his hypnosis scenes. I think are terrific. I mean, he really really. They, they he, said that uh, women fainted. That church attendance was up. So you know that that's the best review you could possibly get. Welcome back. So, of course, in part two, we talk about our favorite scenes or or key scenes. Dan, why don't you get us started? So my key scene is going to remind us of a movie that we both like that we did a couple of seasons ago. My moment, my scene is when Harker is looking at Mina's throat and says, you know, how long have you had these marks? And she kind of covers it up and tries to put it away. For whatever reason, what struck me watching the movie this time was how much it reminded me of, not Nosferatu, but the man with the golden arm. So you got to you got you got to stay with me for a second on this, right? Yeah. It's like you know we're used to reading about Dracula as a plague or as quote unquote the other or a parasite, but all over this movie it struck me as like like the people that have to deal with Dracula and Dracula himself they they all speak as if they're addicts, right? Like the way Mina lies about herself, um, you know he his power is at night. She he becomes like she becomes a thing with like no will of her own. Like Dracula controls what she's going to say. Like when she's in the window, she's going yes, yes. I will. It's like he's like the personification of this terrible addiction, and Renfield is like almost like overdo- overdosed on it, right? Like he he's like a junkie when he's in the when he's in the um the asylum, and he's screaming at the bars and like let me out and things. Um, you know he he's all in. He's all in. Mina tries to hide her addiction and say no no it's there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong, and you know like I think it's funny because Van Helsing says the strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. And that strikes me as like the language of justification. Like every addict says, well, I can quit whenever I want. And, you know, I I don't really believe in the power of this thing. And I'm not going to like draw too fine a point on it, but it just struck me as interesting that like Mina's covering up for Dracula. It's, it's part of the spell. He's hypnotized her. But certainly, you know, the way that like he says, I've commingled my blood with hers or her blood with mine is that like once you know that's like the whole thing with vampires, right? Once you let once you let them in, when, once you you know acknowledge them, then you, you can't get them out, right? When, once the vampire bites you on the neck, you can't unbite it. And it strikes me as like it's it's a very interesting way to think about the nature of addiction. Well, I I had a really interesting in I had an interesting thought that kind of turned into again a, what I want to keep a loose framework that occurred to me in my moment, which is the the showdown between Dracula and von Helsing which is that Dracula says, I think it would be best if you return to your own country. And so he reminds von Helsing that he's not from Britain either. Right. And so I, I think, you know, the, the original Dracula, the, the source material that we said that the, this is a much better adaptation of uh, is is very much about Europe. Uh, right. And and I think that that actually in in turning this into the play which got made into the movie that was very uh, very much at the forefront of the mind um britain is not exactly the new world but it's the furthest west you can get without coming to the new world right and um there's that weird scene of dracula walking in the streets like he's like he's dracula has stumbled onto the opening scene of my fair lady totally with his top hat totally yeah but no say you know and and he kills her um which you know he kills eliza doolittle uh yeah uh but but that scene right and or, or dracula goes to the opera and the lady's looking with the little 
with the little flashlight, but where does he live? He still lives in Carfax Abbey. And so there's, you know, um, if you study like Anglo Anglo Saxon literature, the the beauty of Anglo Saxon literature is that um, everybody in Anglo Saxon Britain knew that there was an old England built by Rome. And then essentially there was an apocalypse, like the world ended and they built a new civilization on top of that. And so what Dracula is, Dracula is like an invasion of the old world into the world of flashlights and opera and pretty boxes and fireplaces and and sanatoriums where they, you know, they talk that kind of thing out of you. Right. Uh, but von Helsing is also European. And so, th- so the, the interesting thing is if you let the old world in, you know, are you, are you going back to the dark ages, which is Dracula, or are you, have you convinced yourself that you're enlightened now? Yeah. And so Dracula is almost an anti-enlightenment piece for exactly, I think the same way that you were talking about um, what, what they said is that the power of Dracula is that no one's going to believe in him. And so that it's, it's dis this seems to say disbelieve at your own risk because you know, you, you can quote unquote, kick the Europeans out, but you can't kick the dark influences out, right? You can get rid of superstition, but you can't get rid of evil. Yes. And, and, right. and you, th- you think you can get rid of superstition. Like it's easy to laugh at the gypsies, like the gypsies in every Dracula movie are there to be scorned. At, but of course, you know, we'll laugh at Walpurgis night and stuff like that. But of course, one thing we know from the, from the story is that the gypsies are 100% correct. Correct, right? They're 100% right. So every every quote-unquote enlightened, as you said, enlightened European looks at the gypsies. But of course, as we said in the uh, in the new Nosferatu film, they have that big red book. Like they have the instruction manual. They know how this goes. And it's funny what you said. You disbelieve that you're in peril because I think that the movie, now we're getting into it, the movie dramatizes what Samuel Johnson said about ghosts. Do you know what Samuel Johnson said about ghosts? Remind me. He said about the Cochrane ghost was a famous thing. He said, it's amazing that thousands of years have gone by and haven't done anything to change how we think about ghosts. He said, all argument is against them, but all belief is for them. And so we're very, we're very rational to dismiss ghosts and laugh at the gypsies, but there's something about them that hits us in, in the very pit of our stomachs. And what what is it like? It's it's like something we know, but we can't prove. It's like, I know that you don't reflect in a mirror, but as soon as I turn the mirror up to your face, it smashes for whatever reason. Right. So I know that it's true, but I don't know that it's true. And and I, I think that it was it's very interesting. It would you could imagine an adaptation of Dracula and many, there are many adaptations of Dracula where Dr. Von Helsing uh, belongs in whatever country he's in. It's not, for example, um, you know, in the Klaus Kinski version by uh, Werner Herzog, it's, it's obvious that he's not from there, but he's as German as everybody else. Right. right? Right. But despite the name. So maybe his ancestors immigrated however long ago in Dracula's version, Dracula recognizes him as a homeboy and says, you don't belong here, and I don't belong here, but you don't belong here more than I don't belong here, because they at least like me. I have influence here. You get out. And so that that it's interesting that that's the, the showdown is for this the showdown is for the soul of the new century fought over by two old Europeans. And that's what's so great because one of the things I loved about well, let's save it for the ending. I'll see it, I'll see you in part three. So welcome back. We're going to continue now with part three, where we talk about the ending and, and keeping going with this idea about Von Helsing and Dracula. I love the fact that in this film, those two are set up as as great, great 
you know, um, like hero and villains. It, like it's a terrific, it's like a Western almost. It's like a showdown for this land and who's going to get it. And they're such great, they're such great, worth, they're so worthy of each other, right? Like even the way they look, like Dracula's great. Like this is definitely the 007 Dracula. Like he's definitely like, you know, I'm, I'm very sexy and none of your women are safe around me. And that's, and Von Helsing, of course, has like the thickest glasses you can imagine to show intelligence, you know, and science. And that's who he is. And even his German accent, I think, is is supposed to, to to kind of give him that air of the pro- that's why he's professor van helsing it ever calls him professor right he he knows everything but the knowledge he has is not the kind of thing you would expect to learn you know at your at your community college well it's interesting that he goes for the wolf spain first right right and then almost as though he's convinced himself he goes for the cross second because you'll remember that the peasants go for the cross first they put the cross on uh um, Renfield, on Renfield, Renfield yeah. first uh, and say, if you wear this, it'll protect you. As, and so Von Helsing almost, he's got to be re-Europeanized because he's been in London too long. Yeah, He does what any scientist does. He goes for some kind of herb first. It's a trying to understand, cure, absolutely. Trying to understand what kind of strange properties it has. And then he remembers what his grandma told him or her grandma told her, which is you just use the cross, right. which that, that is the most effective thing. Well, that's what's great. The wolf's bait is, of course, science. Well, this is the scientific way to get rid of. Of course, everyone knows that there's, you know, there's got to be some kind of property in this the same way that you know, scientists discovered that aloe will help you if you have a sunburn. Right. Although, of course, the technical cure is like, I don't know, keep her away from them. Like close it. Maybe maybe we should think about closing that window. What do you think? And then, of course, the great thing is at the end, I love at the end how let's, we could talk about the very end now. Um, he's so matter of fact when he says, you know, please go get me a large stone I could use to drive the stake through his heart. He's like, he talks about having to put the stake through the hearts the way I talk about having to go to the supermarket. Like, let me know if we need any bananas or give me well, a the, large rock. The best part is if you and I went to go kill a vampire tonight, of course, that would be that would be the thing that would confound us. Right. We 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 sneak in and we get in and you're like, you got the stick, right? It's like, uh, yeah, what are you going to, you didn't bring a hammer? You didn't bring Uh, a mallet? Oh, oh, man. Right, hammer. Uh, What do you, what do we have? Do we have a rock? Look around. Right, that that would be the scariest part. Right. Just like in real life, if you ever don't have a hammer, you try to use something like the back of a, like, you you know, you can. Yeah. And then you end up breaking it and it makes a mess. But he's very, now let's talk about the ending, of course, is that he, he kills Dracula. He kills the brides. Mina is set free. She goes up the steps with Harker and they say to Von Helsing, are you coming? And he says, no, not yet. <laughs> they just leave him there. Now, what did you make of that? Did you make anything of it? He's the, the so if it's a, if it's a battle between it, it's a battle between him and Dracula to see if Jonathan and Mina can get married in peace. Like, how are you going to, how are right. you going to negotiate this new century. And of course they were, they were only like 30 years into the new century. So, uh, and it wasn't going well, obviously, <laughs> you know, because Dracula's written pre-World War One, right. And then, right. and th- this is, this is a romantization of, of pre-World War One right. of, you know, fin de sequel. So he can't, he doesn't belong up there is, is actually the point. That's where, right. right. He and Dracula both belong in the basement of history, but you can't have one or the other they both come as a they come as a yeah. set package right and so if you if you embrace superstition there's a dark side of it right they they keep saying to they keep telling dr van helsing that he's the one that's upsetting mina and he keeps saying i'm not the one that's upsetting mina i'm just trying to tell you how it is right and so 
there's a many things that are relegated to the right to the idea of superstition superstition one of them being monsters and ghosts the other being religion the others being certain uh, human truths that we know to be true but you can't see under a microscope and and unfortunately you you either take the light with the dark or you pretend that they don't exist and so i took it as the blissful young couple once they've gotten they've gotten out of that danger they're about to forget that it all exists until the next time and that's why dr van helsing doesn't walk out with them hand in hand yeah, I assume that he was he was down there to, to finish his scientific experiments and to do some kind of you know uh, you know post mortem or some kind of autopsy on the vampire. I I think you're well. I I think in the novel, again, this is the source material. He's supposed to decapitate them. Yes, and yes. so that, that that what I what I took that to be is you know I need I need you're young and strong. I need you to help me with the stakes. But the but the real gross part. Why don't you go yeah. upstairs? I need some alone time. Why don't you guys go go up the stairs? I don't want to be the third wheel. I don't want to be the third wheel in your marriage or in the new century. But uh, the reason we keep watching these movies is because that third wheel won't go away. That's why vampires are so such great for our, our movies, right? It's it's again, it there's a sense of dread, which your intellect tells you does not exist. But your intuition tells you there's something beyond the intellect that you need to protect yourself. And it right. And if you pretend like the only way that it can get you is if you pretend that it's not happening. As Hemingway says, in the sun also rises, it's very easy to be hard boiled in the daytime, but at night it's another thing. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Dracula. You could follow us on Twitter at one five M I N film. You could follow us on Letterboxd. Letterboxd and see what we're watching and let us know what to watch next. Have a great Halloween, everybody. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time.